1: The reason we are dealing with this particular topic today is because one of the things you find is this. The fact that you believe something, the fact that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ does not automatically mean... That your son or daughter or wife or husband believes that particular thing. The fact that you have trusted in the Almighty God is not an automatic transfer into the life of the person that is right next to you. That individual must be able to encounter Christ on their own. That individual must be able to receive a touch of the supernatural in their you know at, at their own time. They must be able to come to the saving grace, knowing Jesus for themselves. You cannot carry over your faith unto somebody else. The faith of the Father cannot save the son. The fate of the mother cannot save the daughter. The fate of the husband cannot save the wife. It is an individual thing and that is why we are talking about today building a legacy of faith. There was this particular French guy that came to the U.S. I think in the 19 or 1800s and he wrote in one of his books in one of his writings Alexis de Tocqueville says because the Roman civilization perished through barbarian are perhaps too much inclined i perhaps somewhat inclined to think that that is the only way a civilization can die. If the light that guide us ever go out... They will fade little by little as if of their own accord. We, therefore, should not console ourselves by thinking that the barbarians are still a long way off. Some people let the torch be snatched from their hands, but others stamp it out by themselves. In other words, when you read the book, it's called by it's called Why Nations Die by, by, I think it's Nelson Black. It gives you a particular you kind know, of the stages through which nature, nations go through when they are about to die. And this man kind of you kind of summarizes it. He says that a lot of people believe that because the Roman the, the, the Roman empire was defeated because of an invasion of the barbarians. So a lot of people think that that is the only way that they die. But nations die not only in the, not only by being invaded by an outside aggression, but sometimes they die by their own accord. In other words, they kill themselves gradually. And they kill themselves gradually by allowing the truth that they know By allowing the values that they espouse, by allowing the things that make them great, by becoming indulgent and allowing those things to slip out of their hands. And then he concluded his writing by saying that some people, you know, some people let the torch, the torch that gives them light and gives them direction, some people let that particular torch to be snatched away from their hands. He says some other people simply look at the light and say, what is this useless light doing? And they turn it off by themselves. I pray our portion will not be like that in Jesus' name. What you find is that what is going on in nations also happens in the life of a church. You will see great churches that started with the word of God, great churches where the word of God was well highly preached, where the word of God, where the move of the spirit was very evident. Those same churches today, many of them are just a you know, are just a shadow of what they used to be. Some of them are even lucky if they are shadow of what they used to be. They can't even recognize themselves anymore. The point you are making is that what happens in a nation also happens in the life of a church. And not only that, what happens in the church happens in the life of an individual. There are people who started very well with the Lord. There are people who walked with the Lord. When they first got born again, they were on fire for the Almighty God. And then the time came, what happened? The fire died down. They were not able to convince even themselves again of the truth of the Word of God. And that is what happens in the life of an individual when you don't take the time to build a legacy of faith. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Reading from verse number one, the Bible tells us, "Thus all the works of Solomon made from the made for the house of the Lord were finished, and Solomon brought it or brought it all. And Solomon brought in." All the things that David, his father, had dedicated, and the silver and the gold, and all the instruments, he put he among the treasures of the house of God. Solomon then assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribe, and the chief of the fathers of the house of Israel, unto Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came... And the Levite took up the ark, and it came to pass, as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, and and to make one sound, to be heard in the praising and the thanking of God, or thanking of the Lord. When they lifted up their voices with the trumpet, and the cymbals, and the instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. That then the house was filled with a smoke. With a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand in the uh, could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now in the second year of their coming into the house of sorry, that, that is uh, that is talking about that uh, Second Chronicles chapter five is describing what Solomon did when Solomon was about to dedicate the temple of the Almighty God. The Bible makes us to understand that when Solomon dedicated it, there was so much sacrifice, that there was a sea of blood that was taking place. There was so much festivity. A lot of things were happening because the people were able to build a temple where they can worship Jehovah God. And that was what was happening. That temple was there. And the Bible makes us to understand that there was a promise that the Lord gave unto Solomon that day. He said, if anyone turns and face this particular temple, is there any prayer that they lift up to the Almighty God, that particular prayer will be heard. When they are fighting a war and they call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will hear them. If they are going through any difficult situation, all they have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will hear them. That was what happened in the days of Solomon. But the Bible also makes us understand that as time went on, they started taking those things for granted. They started assuming that they were the special people of God. That they could misbehave and God will continue to be with them. That they could continue to commit their sins and God will continue to forgive them. That God was obligated to taking care of them. That was their misunderstanding. The Bible now makes us to understand that as they continue to misbehave, the Lord now allowed their enemies to come and take them into captivity. And when they were taken into captivity after a while, they came back from captivity and that's what we now recorded in the book of Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra chapter 3, we are now seeing the rebuilding of the temple because when they were taken into captivity that temple was destroyed. Now there was a rebuilding of that particular temple that was built by Solomon. In Ezra chapter 3 reading from verse number 8 the Bible say now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem the second month began Zerubbabel the son of Shetel and Joshua the son of Zadok and the remnant of their, of their brethren the priests and the Levite and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and they appointed the Lev." And appointed the Levites from twenty years old, from twenty years old and upward to set to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Joshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadbilel and his sons, and the sons of Judah together. They set forward the workmen of the the workmen of the house of the of the, of God. The sons of Hanadat, and with his son with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And then when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in the midst in their apparel trumpet and the Levites and the sons of Asphah with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of the king of, of David the king of Israel and they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endure forever towards Israel and all the people shouted with a great shout and when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid but many of the priests and the, and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy. So the people could not discern the noise of the shouts of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. But verse number 12. But many of the priests and the Levites... Many of the priests and the priests and the Levites, and the chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house, and when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted with voice. The point we are making here is this. The point we are making here is this. When these people who were witnesses, who saw what the temple of Solomon looked like, These same individuals who understood what it meant to be able to walk with the Almighty God. These same individuals who saw what it was for God to be able to visit His people in His temple. When they saw the temple being rededicated again, what they found was that they knew that, yes, something has happened. How did we go from the point where we saw the glory of the Almighty God in the days of Solomon to the point where we have to be rebuilding the temple? The Bible says that the old men who were there the very first time, when they saw it again, they went. They started weeping. The people who have never saw it, who have never who did not see the first temple, they were rejoicing because they thought that was the best thing that ever happened. But the old men knew that something has happened, and they were weeping. And the Bible said that we don't even know the difference between the weeping and the time, you know, and the and the sound of joy. The question that comes to mind is that why were the ancient men weeping? Why were they weeping? It's just like those of us who have, you know, those who have grown up in this, you know, grown up in our society and they've seen the good days of our society and they are seeing what is happening right now. They look back and they begin to wonder what is going on with our society. Those who have enjoyed the blessings of God in the house of God, those who have seen the power of God move in the house of God, when they look back and they go to church today, they begin to wonder what is happening in the house of God. That was why the Bible says that the ancient men, when they saw what was going on, they started weeping. And the question is, why were they weeping? One thing we need to understand is this. The failure of one generation to correctly and effectively instruct the coming generation is what is called generational irresponsibility. In other words... These people were crying, number one, because they saw the magnificence of the old temple and they are looking at it right now and saying, what happened? These people were crying because they were looking at the things that were going on around them and they were wondering, what is happening around us? But most importantly, the reason why they were crying is that, how did we get from here to here? How did we get from the time of glory to the time when we have to be rebuilding that glory? How did we get to a time, how did we get from a time where we could hear the voice of the Almighty God to the time when we don't even recognize the voice of the Almighty God anymore? How did we get from a point of time when the Lord God Almighty was walking very closely with his people in the temple of God to the point where when God is not even walking, we don't even know? If God is not even absent, we don't even know anymore. How did we get to that point? These people were crying because of what is called generational irresponsibility. And generational irresponsibility is what I call the failure of one generation, the failures of the fathers, the failures of the mothers, the failures of the elders to communicate the truth that made them great into the next generation. That is what generational irresponsibility is all about. There was something that they did that made them to receive the favor of God. There was something that they did that made God to be able to form a covenant with them. There was something that there was a way in which they lived whereby God was able to fulfill his promise unto them. What happened? That the way they lived, their children are not able to live like that anymore. What happened? What happened that when, we, when the fathers that started the church, when the early church fathers, when they can experience the power of God and their children cannot even discern the power of God? What happened? That is generational irresponsibility. Okay? And the service, you know, and regardless of what we do in the house of God, if you are not able to communicate your faith to your children, we have failed. If everything we do in the house of God, Yes, we have built a new auditorium. We have made it look beautiful. We have built the stage that make me even taller. And the idea is that we have done everything that looks good. The point is that if we are not able to communicate the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we are not able to sell you, know, we're not able to get our children to believe in the message that we believe in, then we have failed. As a church, as a family, and as an individual, we have failed. If that is the case, the service that count is the service that endures. If your service in the house of God does not endure, that service does not count. And that is what the Bible was telling us in the book of First Corinthians chapter 3. In First Corinthians chapter three, reading from verse number thirteen, the Bible says, "Every man's work shall manifest; shall be made manifest, for the day will shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, he has built up there, that uh, which he has built thereupon. He shall receive a reward. And by contrast, that simply means that if your work does not endure, you are not going to receive any reward." Every work that we do in the house of God, if that work does not endure, we have succeeded in wasting our time. It is not how eloquent a preacher can preach, it is not the amount of noise that he can make from the pulpit. The question is, what difference is the noise that is making? What difference does it make in the life of the people who are hearing? If the prayers that we pray does not make any difference, if the, if the words that we hear does not change our life, then we have wasted our time on a daily basis coming to church. We have even wasted our offering because you can put it somewhere else and get a better return. But if the things that we do in the house of God does not change us as an individual, we have a problem. We have a problem. And this is what happened to Israel in those days. Their service to the kingdom of God, all their offerings, All their their sacrifices, they were meaningless because it made no change in the life of an individual, in their lives. And that is why I always tell people, any faith that you believe in, that does not take away lying from your life, does not take away cheating from your life, does not change your life, that faith is not taking you anywhere. That faith is not taking you anywhere. And that's why Jesus Christ said, if a man is born again, he says, if anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, all things have passed away, all things have become new. If you after meeting Jesus, nothing has changed in our life, there is a problem, my brothers. There is a problem. If after you meet Jesus, nothing changed in your life, you are still lying, you are still doing the things that you normally do, and people who saw you before and after, they cannot tell any difference, you have met the wrong Jesus. Because the right Jesus will do something in your life. Our children must own the message of the gospel if they are going to preserve the legacy of faith that we say that we are building. Your children must be able to hold on to the same faith. They must be able to believe the thing that you believe. They must be able to see the truth that you see. They must be able to have a relationship with the same God that you claim that you have a relationship with. If that is not happening, there is a problem somewhere. In Genesis chapter 18, that we read the other time, reading from verse number 17, the Bible says, The Lord and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse number 19, For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken concerning him. The Lord basically is saying that the revelation that is given unto Abraham, that the things that he has promised unto Abraham, that the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham was conditioned on one thing, and that condition was that Abraham was going to teach his children. To follow in his own footstep. Look at that verse again. The Bible says, for I know him. In other words, I have walked with this man long enough to know. I know this particular individual. I know his character. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. That they shall keep the way of the Lord. In other words, the fate of Abraham was not for Abraham alone. The faith of Abraham was not Abraham was not a private thing. Abraham lived his life in such a way that even his children were going to follow after his full step. And that was the basis of the revelation of God for Abraham. God's revelation for Abraham was based on the fact that Abraham was going to pass on the knowledge of God to his children. Okay. And you will notice in the scripture in Genesis chapter 26, reading from verse number 24, the Bible tells us that God was referred to as God of Abraham. Okay. And the Lord appeared unto him and said that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, I will be with thee, and will bless thee and multiply the seed of my servant and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. In other words, when God appeared unto Isaac, God introduced himself to Isaac as the God of Abraham. Okay. At the time he was introducing himself unto Isaac, he was not known by any other thing then. He was not yet the God of Isaac. He was still the God of Abraham. But as Isaac began to walk with the Lord, as Isaac began to have a relationship with the Almighty God, as Isaac began to understand what it means to walk with God, begin to form a deeper relationship with God, the Lord God Almighty now changed his name. Okay? God now changed his name. He's no longer the God of Abraham anymore. If you read Genesis 28 verse 13, the Bible now says, When God now appeared unto Jacob, he now introduced himself. He said, I am no longer the God of Abraham. I am now the God of Abraham and Isaac. God was not automatically the God of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac had to form a relationship with God for him to become the God of Isaac. And the same thing happened to Jacob. When you read in the book of Exodus chapter six, uh, Exodus chapter three, when God was introducing Himself to Moses, Jacob had to walk with God. Jacob had to have a relationship with God before God became the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, the God of Godwin Tuno is not necessarily God of Deborah Tuno. No, she has to be able to develop a relationship with the Almighty God for her, for her to, for God to now become not just the God of Godwin, but the God of Deborah. You get the idea. There has to be that personal relationship that will take place. Until that personal relationship takes place, you can see the wonders that God is doing in the life of your parents. You can see the wonders that God is doing in the life of your husband or your wife. But you might not be able to experience it. Because you have to have that your own personal relationship with that almighty God. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And you will find out that until Israel started working with the almighty God, God was not called the God of Israel. God was called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when Israel started walking with the Almighty God in further on in Exodus chapter 5, that is where you now see that God now introduced himself as the God of Israel. What it simply means is that everyone must encounter God on his own. You have to encounter God on your own. If you don't know the same God, what you will find is you will have what is called, what is referred to as a secondhand experience. When you have a second hand experience with the Almighty God, what you will find is that if I come in here right now until you have that until you are plugged to that particular source, what happens? You will not have any kind of life. And that is why the only time people pray is when they come to church. The only time they have any kind of understanding of the word of God is when they are listening to a preacher. The only time they have any semblance of any spiritual life is when they have another Christian that is giving them that they are feeding off from. They cannot stand on their own because most of what they have is not right, directly connected to the source. I used to tell people, if all your faith is based on what I say, somebody somewhere may come one day and say it better than myself and say something really crazy that is better than what I'm saying. I have a better argument and there's a strong possibility that you might go with that person. But if your faith is based on what the Bible teaches, if your ba- faith is based on what is written in here, regardless of the kind of argument that I present or somebody else present, your faith will be stable Because what? You know what is in here. The point you are making is that you have to encounter God on your own. And your children have to encounter God on your own. And that's why the Bible tells in the book of Proverbs, chapter uh, uh, Proverbs 13, reading from verse number 22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, it is normal for you to have to leave something for your children. It is normal. But a good man will leave inheritance, not just for his own children, but for his own children's children. And that is what the legacy of faith is all about. That is what the legacy of faith is all about. So I want to illustrate this legacy of faith, this, this generational responsibility. I want to illustrate it with two passages of scripture, or two individuals in the scripture. The first one we see is in the book of First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28, reading from verse number 3. The Bible says to David, David was the one who is is being referred to here. David's intention all along was that he wanted to build the temple of the Almighty God. That was the intention, that was the desire of David. He had always wanted to build a house for the Almighty God. And the Lord said, my friend, you can't build me a house because you are a very, very terrible person. You are a war, you you are a bloody man. Another man, you are a man of war. You have fought and you have killed a lot of people. I don't want the man who has blood in his hands to build me a house. First Chronicles chapter 28, reading from verse number 3. Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and has shed blood. That was the only reason why God will not allow David to build a house for him. But as soon as the Almighty God told him, As soon as God told him that, yes, you cannot build me a house. The next thing that David did, the next thing David did was, the Bible said that he started collecting the instrument. He started collecting the things that he wanted to put in the house. He now said, because the Lord told him that your son, Solomon, was going to build the house for me. And because Solomon was going to be the one to build the house, David started buying the materials. David started getting the things that were going to put in the temple. He started accumulating it. It's just like if you know that you cannot buy a house, but your daughter is coming forward or your son is coming forward, and you say, okay. I'm going to buy the furniture. You make sure you buy the one that is going to be relevant by the time the journey. But that's a story for another day. The point you're making is <laughs> the point is that you start buying stuff, getting ready, you know, for the time when your son or your daughter will be ready to build the house. And that was what David did. David started collecting all the instruments of worship. Started collecting all the things that he was going to put in the temple. And he got ready. And the Bible makes us understand that when Solomon was ready to build the temple, in the verse of the scripture we read at the very time, Solomon brought all those things to the house of God because his father has made a preparation for him. So, because of the responsibility of David, he understood, though I cannot do it, but my son will do it for me. Okay? The same thing, if you are walking with the Almighty God, you might not be able to experience the fullness of God completely, but you begin to train your kids so that they can have a better experience with the Almighty God. That is number one. The second person I want to talk about is a man called, is a king called Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Second Kings chapter 20. The Bible makes us to understand that Hezekiah had been sick. He had prayed. The Lord had given an additional 15 years. And then the next thing he did, he got an emissary. And when he got that emissary, he started showing off. This is where we have our armory. This is where we have our treasury. This is where we have our state house. He started showing off all his kingdom to his people. And the Lord said, man, you have made a mistake, boy. What you are doing right now is that these things that you are showing these guys, they are going to come, there, come back one day and take it away. And that is why you keep your mouth shut when your God is blessing you. That's another story for another day. But 2 Kings chapter 20. Reading from verse number 13. The Bible says, Hezekiah harkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and on all that was found in the treasury. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Verse number 17, behold, the Bible said, behold, the day come, that all that in thy house, that that which thy father had laid up in store, unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left," saith the Lord. The interesting thing about this is this. When the Lord told Hezekiah that you have made a mistake, you shouldn't have shown them all these things. You should at least keep certain things, you know. You don't allow people like Snowden to go into your treasury. But you should have kept certain things, you know, you should have kept certain things uh, uh, what do you call it, kept setting things secret. You know what this guy did? Look at verse number 19. The Bible said "Then Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, when Isaiah came to, you know, to rebuke him. The Bible said Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, it is not, is, is it not good if peace and truth be in my day? In other words, well, I made a mistake. It's going to happen later in the future. My kids are not going to see it. Well, too bad, but I'm going to enjoy it, so, not to spoil. That is the most irresponsible response that you can get. Hezekiah was simply saying, as long as it did not happen in my day, everything is fine. It's just like when you know you have just given back to a kid and they tell you in the next 20 years, the economy is going to crash. You have no savings. You have no protection. You have no headphone, You have nothing to protect that kid. And you say, well, as long as the economy doesn't crash today, I'm fine. That is the most ridiculous response. But that was what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah said, well, they are going to carry those things into, into, they are going to carry into, uh, into captivity. Fine. As long as it doesn't happen in my day, we are cool. And that is what we find in the body of Christ today. And like I said, whatever we are building today is useless if we do not take the time to invest in our children. Whatever you are doing today, the work that you are doing, the career that you are building, whatever you are building, the houses, the mansion, whatever you are doing, if you do not take the time to invest in your children, you have succeeded in wasting your time. There is something we used to say back home in Africa. We said that the child that is not trained is the child that will mortgage the father's property. A child that is not trained is the one that is going to take all your investment and put them up in the, in, the, in the Colorado style, if you know what I mean. You know, your child, that the child that is not trained is the child that is going to smoke off all your money. Is the one that's going to drink off all your money. Is the one who's going to waste everything if you don't train that particular child. That's why the Bible says that train up a child in the way he will go. And if he grows up, he will never forget it. But if you refuse to train that child because you are running after whatever, you will find out that everything that you are laying up is going to be wasted. And that's how whatever we are building today, unless we are taking the time to invest in the next generation, we are wasting our time. The question is, how did people like Abraham, how did they do it? How did people like Isaac do it? How did people like Jacob do it? How did they transfer their own knowledge, their relationship with God? How did they transfer it to their children? Number one, they knew who they believed. The only way you can transfer your faith to your children, the only way you can transfer your faith to other people, the only way you can ensure that your faith outlasts you is for you to know what you believe, okay? To pass on a legacy of faith, you must know what you believe.
0: Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee.